we're starting our sermon series on Hebrews. Hebrews is an enigmatic book. It's a, it's a mysterious book because of what we don't know. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. Most scholars think it's somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. We don't know who the intended audience was or what fully influenced the author to write it. We don't know the answers to these questions, and that can frustrate those of us who want definitive answers. But since God has not given us that information, it must be for our benefit. Because again, we know that he works all things together for good, for our good. I don't know what his reasoning was in withholding some of this information, but it has been suggested by many that it was done to emphasize, to quote one commentator, that Hebrews is a tract not only for the author's times, but for all times. Which is fitting given its emphasis upon the temptation to compromise the faith in the face of a hostile world and of the hostile forces that surround it, which is a temptation that every generation of the church must face. Another indicator that Hebrews is a tract for all times is its two grand themes, which is the sufficiency in the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. In terms of Christ's supremacy, Hebrews is going to show us his supremacy to the Old Testament prophets, to the angels, to Moses, to Joshua, to the Old Testament priests, and even their priestly work. In terms of his sufficiency, will he see his sufficiency in reconciling us to God through his priestly work? Just as we see in our shorter catechism, question number 25, that Christ executes the office of a priest in his wants, offering up himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God. In other words, unlike the sacrifices that were given under Moses, which had to be repeated year after year, Jesus' sacrifice only had to be offered one time. It only had to be offered once because its effect of salvation to everyone who believes in him is an effect that lasts forever. And so as we study this great epistle, I encourage us to keep our eyes open for three things. First, a deeper understanding of what it means that Christ is supreme and that he is sufficient in reconciling us to God. So again, a deeper understanding of what it means that Christ is supreme and that he is sufficient in reconciling us to God. Second, let's keep our eyes open for words of encouragement. Encouragement to persevere in our faith. It is clear from the letter that the author is writing to a people that is facing opposition from the culture that is around them. And so 
encouraging words to them to persevere in their faith and not to give up or give in. And those are important in our day because, again, we face that just as much now as they did back then. It might be in different ways, but we still face that opposition, and we need that encouragement, so let's look for it. And number three, let's keep our eyes open to the warnings that are given. We will see that in every major section, there is an encouragement and a warning that is given. Warnings about neglecting this great salvation that we have been given. And so let's keep our eyes open for them because we will see that they are warnings that fit our day as much as the author's. So let's look to these things as we study this great book. And today, again, we're going to start in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of our God. It is infallible and it is inerrant. So let's give it our full attention. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, we pray again that you would give us understanding. We know that in our nature, Lord, as fallen human beings, in our flesh, Lord, we cannot understand spiritual things because these are spiritually discerning. So we ask that your spirit will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, build within us the mind of Christ. Lord, may we see his supremacy here over the prophets. His supremacy because he creates and sustains the universe by the word of his power. Lord, that you are great and you are marvelous because you sent him and that Jesus, you came and offered yourself up for the purification of sins. And we rejoice that indeed you are sitting at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling. Lord, we give you the glory and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Humanity is drawn towards supreme things. MVP sports players, presidents and kings, the Taj Mahal, the tallest and the fastest roller coaster, and the ultimate bacon cheeseburger. Why settle for lesser things is a motto that is revered by many. And the book of Hebrews is about the most supreme thing of all. And the most supreme gift that God has given us his son, Jesus Christ. And God has given us many gifts throughout the centuries. The Bible, his law, the prophets, the priesthood and their priestly work. He's given us great leaders like Moses and Joshua. He's given angels to minister on our behalf. He's given us the gift of faith and of salvation, and so much more. These are glorious gifts of our Lord. But as we study Hebrews, we will see that Christ surpasses them all. Because it is in Jesus that we find all 
of their completion and their fulfillment. Again, in particular, we will see his supremacy to the Old Testament prophets and to angels and Moses and Joshua and the Old Testament priests and their work. In the very first verse of our passage this morning, focuses on his supremacy to the prophets. Again, the verse says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our father by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Throughout the centuries prior to Christ, Israel received the word of God from the prophets. It was through the prophets that they learned God's will for them how to distinguish truth from error. In short, without the ministry of the prophets, there would be no Old Testament. And we still benefit from their instruction today. Yes, he speaks to us through his son, but we remember that the Old Testament prophets, everything that they said was pointing to Christ. And we know that all of scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching us and rebuking us training us in righteousness so that we can be fully equipped for every good work. So we still need their word. So their prophets are still to be respected and honored. But let's notice from the text that Christ is superior to them all. We can see it through the flow of history that is given in verses 1 through 2. Clearly, the author is presenting two ages within history. We see that there was the age that was long ago. When God spoke through the prophets at many times and in many ways, in things like dreams and visions and theophanies, when God appeared in physical form. It was a glorious time, but it was an age of incompleteness. It was incompleteness because the word of God was still being revealed and the word of God was still being written. But it was also an age of anticipation. It was an age of anticipation because Israel was anticipating the coming of their Messiah that would save them from their sins. This was the time that was, again, long ago. But now we see the current age. We know it's the current age because 2,000 years ago when it was written, it was defined as the last days. We have been in the last days for 2,000 years. And this is the last age when God speaks to us through his son. Do you see the finality that is stated or implied within that phrase? In these last days, God speaks to us by his son. Which is to say that Jesus completes and fulfills God's word that was given to all of the prophets. And so there is no need for God to give new revelation to us. Jesus Christ is superior to the prophets because he completes and fulfills God's word that was given through the prophets. But that is not all. Christ is also superior to the prophets because of his divine nature. He is indeed a prophet revealing to us by his word and spirit God's will for our salvation. But he is a unique prophet because in verse 2, we see that he is here the son of God. 
In his excellent commentary on Hebrews, Philip Hughes says it in this way. Thus Christ, the Son through whom God has spoken his ultimate word, and indeed who is himself the word, is the prophet par excellence, whose coming is the culmination of all the prophecies and promises of the past. Like the former prophets, he spoke the word of God, but unlike them, he is the eternal word who became the word incarnate. Like the former prophets, he spoke the word of God, but unlike them, he is the eternal word who became the word incarnate, come in the flesh. And so Jesus is superior to the prophets because they were men like you and they were men like me. Sent to share with us God's word, yes, but Jesus himself was the eternal word who came to earth in the flesh. And so to sum up, our text shows us that Christ is superior to the prophets for two reasons. First, because he completes and fulfills God's revelation given to the prophets. And second, because unlike all of them, he is the Son of God. And therefore, again, to borrow Hughes's phrase, Jesus is the prophet par excellence. These two truths have deep implications for our lives. The fact that Christ completes and fulfills God's revelation points to the completeness and the sufficiency of the Bible, which means that God will not add any more to Scripture because it contains all that we need to know for salvation and the practice of our faith. I like how Sinclair Ferguson describes this. He says that so far as the present form of man's existence is concerned, the end has come. And I'll pause there. Remember, the end has come. We are in the last days. The goal of revelation has been realized. In Jesus Christ, revelation from God, insofar as the present era is concerned, has reached its climax. Through knowing him, Sinful man today reaches the limit of his capacity to know personally his creator and redeemer. In short, God is no longer giving new revelation today. Sadly, there are many that have been blinded to this truth. They are seeking a new revelation from God. Not too long ago, we had a friend who called us that was all excited she was excited because a prophet spoke words over her and said that by the end of 2022, three very specific good things were going to happen to them. Indeed, I hope that good things happen to her. Don't get me wrong. I do. I want the best for my friend. But what grieves me is that there is no way to prove that what she actually heard was from the Lord. What is to say that it didn't come from the self-proclaimed prophet's own selfish desires? Their desire to want to be liked by my friend, for example. What's to say that our friend isn't, that this prophet wasn't being demonically influenced to get our friend 
to turn away from the solid foundation of guidance found in God's word to rely upon something else that has no foundation of authority, that has no way to be judged, whether it be right or true. It's the solid foundation of the Bible. That is the key. There has to be a way to test the things that people are hearing other people saying to them. Because we all can be deceived by selfish desires. We can even be deceived by the best of intentions. But what is the standard? Look again at verse 2. This is very key. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. Where do we find that word? Where do we find the word of his son? We find it here. Where can we open this and can my friend see the prophecy given to her that on this date, at this time, that this specific thing is going to happen to you? Where is that found in here? It's not. And so she is in danger of building her hopes and her dreams on something that is very likely not to come to pass. And she's put into a position where it doesn't come to pass, where she's going to have a crisis of faith. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe he doesn't care for me. We don't know what the devil will do in the midst of that. When we are faced with questions about what we should say, what we should think, what we should feel, what we should do, when we're trying to discern God's will for our own lives, the best thing we can do is to ask, what does God's word have to say? We don't need people to speak prophecy over us because all the knowledge and wisdom that we need for salvation and the practical living out of our faith is either directly set down in the Bible or it can be necessarily implied by it. This is what the reformers call the doctrine of sola scriptura, or scripture alone. Now, there are many critics in our day of this theology, particularly those in the Pentecostal movement, mystics, theological liberals. You will often hear them say that those of us who believe in scripture alone do not believe that God speaks today. Well, let's begin and say that that is a false assumption. Just because God is not giving new revelation does not mean that God is not speaking. God indeed is still speaking. He speaks through nature, yes. We see it in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. He's still speaking to us through the Bible. It is breathed out by him. It wasn't made up by man. It was written down and communicated by man, yes, but it is God's word. He's still speaking to us for the Bible. We see clearly, again, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is a common verse we go to, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for equipping us for every good work. Let's hear that phrase, every good work. Scripture does not give us some of God's revelation that is necessary for our salvation. And every good work then needs to be added to or that the rest of it needs to be revealed by the prophets of our age. No, the Bible is complete and final. The Bible all points to Jesus 
who fulfills every promise and prophecy that was given by the prophets. Indeed, in the age long past, God spoke to us through those prophets, but in these last days, through his son. And his son, through his word, speaks all that we need for salvation and living out our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that every question is answered in God's word. Again, it can be implied by there. We have to look at the principles of the word and apply it. And do you know what? Sometimes we're going to get it wrong. But what we have and what we need to make the right decision is all in here and can be either directly seen or implied from it. And we need each other for that. This is why community is important. Because we all have gaps in our theological understanding. There's things about the Bible we all don't get. God gives us the gift of one another to help us discern. That's why it's not wrong to go to friends to seek advice. But what are those friends telling us? And does it line up with God's word or important questions that we need to ask? Friends, let's not also forget the work of the Holy Spirit and speaking to us through the Bible. Now, the Spirit isn't necessarily directly mentioned here, but it's important for us to just say up front, John 14, 26 says that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. He will give us understanding and remind us of what Jesus said. God is still speaking to us today because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, teaches us all things. He gives us understanding of the word. And he reminds us of the things that Jesus taught when we're faced with the decisions of life. And so friends, when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. When I say, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You have just heard God speak. So whenever we are faced with the question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Let's seek guidance from his word, the Bible. And when we think we have an answer, confirm that it does not contradict what the word says. Because if it does, then you can be assured that it is not from the Lord. And that the person across from you that's giving you that bad advice is not speaking on the Lord's behalf. And it means a lot for us, the importance of studying God's word and knowing it so we are not leading people astray. Friends, there is so much more that we could say from verses, verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. But let's move and draw our attention to the basis of Christ's supremacy that is given at the end of verse 2 and on into verse 3. Jesus, the Son, whom God appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God the Father appointed Jesus to be the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. The basis for Christ's superiority, 
is not only his superiority to the prophets, but his superiority to everything in heaven and earth. He is superior to all things because God the Father has made him that, the heir of all things. Jesus is superior to all things because he joined with the Father in creating the world. Jesus is superior to all things because he is God's divine son, the exact imprint of his nature. Just as Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father because they are one. Jesus is superior to all things because he is sitting in heaven, now reigning over heaven and earth at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is superior to all things because through the cross, he made purification for our sins. Jesus bled and died on the cross to purify from sin and to reconcile to God everyone who believes in him. In the garden, we were created to glorify him in a sinless estate. But in the fall, that relationship was broken and we were brought under his wrath. Therefore, each of us in this room, we were conceived in an unrighteousness. We were conceived under God's wrath as sinners. But at the cross, friends, Jesus took the penalty, the penalty of your sin upon his shoulders. That wrath of God that you rightfully deserve because of your sin nature and because of the sin you've committed, Jesus took the penalty of it. He had propitiated he appeased the wrath of God. He paid its penalty so that we can be reconciled to God. Reconcile to God and set free from his wrath. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will see it all throughout our study of Hebrews. The good news that if you and I trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, that he has indeed forgiven us of our sin and he has averted the wrath of God that our sin deserved. By God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be restored to a right relationship with God that is everlasting where he never leaves us nor forsakes us, for he is with his people to the end of these last days. And at their completion, he will return to take us to be with him for eternity. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, may today be the day of your salvation, where these promises would be true of you. For those of us that are, may we find rest and hope and peace and comfort in the gospel, knowing that it is God's power that has saved us. And so, friends, as we study Hebrews, let's seek a deeper understanding of Jesus and all that he has done for our life and salvation. And may it lead us to live missionally for his glory in the world so that others may find rest as well in his eternal presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for just your presence. Lord, we thank you for the purification of our sins that comes through Christ. Lord, we thank you for the completeness of your revelation, that everything that we need for, for, to know for salvation 
and for living out our faith. You've expressly set down in your word or can at least be implied from it as well. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear you. Lord, that as a community that we would be people of your word and that we would help each other understand it rightly because we want to glorify your name. We want to work for the good of our neighbor. And if we deviate from your word, Lord, that will not happen. It will lead to confusion and chaos and a lack of peace and hope and rest in your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that you would sanctify our minds and our hearts that we may truly understand and live out your word. And we rejoice knowing in that great promise you've given us that you are reigning and ruling, that you are praying for us, that you are giving them, giving us the strength that we need through the spirit and you will sustain us on, in these last days until you come again. And we rejoice in that time when all of these struggles, all of this sin, all of this temptation, all of the barriers, Lord, Lord, we no longer will have to face them, but we can be free in your presence. But help us and remind us to know that indeed here we can have life and abundantly through what Christ has done. We give you the glory and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon was recorded at Living Hope Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more sermons and resources, visit livinghopeth.com.